Yeah, you summed it up, dude. The uh, playing the just getting jacked on soda and playing those stupid wrestling games were so fun back in the day. I remember the first time we did it there at AMPM. They had a bucket that was. <laughs> I think it was like 80 something ounces. <laughs> we're like, let's get that. So, we're, and it was only like a block away from a spot. So, there's like four of us at the time for that one came in. And we just like carrying back buckets of sodas with us <laughs> and a bunch of junk food. It was awesome. And then uh, my friend would play Ken Shamrock and just cheese the shit out of us. It fucking pissed us off so bad. Welcome, guys, gals, synthetics, organics, and non-binary pals. This is Couch Co-op, and this week we are talking about Mass Effect. Jack, do you have anything to add to this? The only thing I really want to say about this game is it's the epitome of everything that I hate about gaming. Fuck you guys. I'm out. <laughs> uh, the enemy <laughs> fun's at it again. I love it. <laughs> no, I gotta say... Um, as I've mentioned numerous times, like, uh, you know, a huge reason why I enjoy video games, huge reason I like playing them is, is the plot and getting immersed in the universe. And um, Mass Effect, is, to me, is a perfect example of, of this at play. It's a total space opera before our eyes. And Dave, you finally uh, got, I assume, the pleasure of completing the whole series. Um, we, don't, we don't talk about Andromeda around here. But... Uh, but you beat the, the original first three. And so um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, you know, what you liked, what you hated. And uh, honestly, for this game, due to all the controversy that stemmed from it, I think it makes sense to actually start at the end because Mass Effect 3, there was such a shitstorm uh, when the original game came out for how it concluded. And yeah, albeit they added a few little elements to tidy things up and try to temper the, the Reddit storm, but in actuality, um, you know, it, it, for the most part, was the ending we got. So, Dave, what, how did you feel upon the completion of Mass Effect 3? Well, I, I want to note that I played Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which includes all the DLC um, and has even, I think, cut some small mechanics out of the original trilogy. From what I understand, you played all the original games through PlayStation Now. Am I correct on that? More or less. It, it was a collection series. Uh, okay. Disc, so, but yeah, basically. Okay. So did you get the access to DLC? I did. Um, oh, okay, yeah. cool. So we're on the same page. Um, so starting off with Mass Effect 3 and all the drama behind it, I, I want to say that I was fairly impressed with the whole series. Um, I probably spent about 40 hours roughly on each game, maybe a little bit more on the third one, but how all the, the small decisions that you made, the characters you chose to interact with, uh, even not having played a DLC in the first game could affect something that happens to you in the third game. So with that being said, um, the third game, I'm, I'm a bit of a completionist, so I, I wanted to go through and get as much war assets as I could possibly get. And from what I understand, uh, that affects a possible ending So for the third game. So there's four possible endings. 
Um, there's one where you just choose to activate the catalyst and destroy all the synthetics. Now, in this video game world, that that line kind of blurs where a lot of the organics in the universe have synthetic hardware in them or have entwined some of it within them. So the caveat was that by choosing this ending, you would also be killing not only the main threat to the game, which is the Reapers, but you'd be killing all the Geth, you'd be killing untold masses of organics that have blended themselves in with synthetics. Uh, another one was that you could control all the Reapers. You pretty much dissolve yourself into an essence, which ends up taking over the Reapers and you become them in a sense. You still keep kind of the core of who you are and an idea about what you are, but you're blending yourselves with them. So you can, which comes to a pretty controversial point for me as far as what I was thinking it through. The third ending is let the cycle continue where you do nothing because the catalyst explains that this all happens because whenever societies in this world get powerful and advanced enough, they end up controlling or creating synthetics and then the synthetics get sentience and then it becomes this big war where they just keep killing each other over in a cycle. So the answer was to pretty much create an AI that would end this cycle. But in doing so is what they do is they kill all the races that are advanced enough, but they also entomb them within themselves as reapers. And then they disappear, let all the lesser races advance. And then the cycle continues, which is about 50,000 years. Now, the ending I went with, because this depends on how many war assets you collected, and the war assets also matter as to what actions you took in the first and second game, along with the third, but a lot of that, like I said, snowballs. Um, if you get enough war assets, not only do you get to save people in the final act of uh, Mass Effect 3 and the series, but you get an option which is to synthesize. So you pretty much blend synthetics and organics together, which ends the cycle, but creates this universal peace in the sense that both organics and synthetics understand each other. And with that knowledge, they learn how to coexist together and then they continue on. So you're almost creating a new race within the entire universe or this galaxy that you're in where the Reapers are attacking. And that's the one I went with. And having not touched any of a lot of the content on YouTube about it until I finish the game, because um, I doubt I'm going to go through all the different playthroughs you can get to get all the different scenarios and all the different stuff. I played Paragon. I don't know if I want to play all three games as a renegade, even though it looks like a lot of fun to do it that way, that people were really di divisive on a few things. One, the ending wasn't really true, like a true choose your, like, it, it wasn't an ending where your decisions mattered. Like no matter what, it was gonna come down to one out of the four, which they felt like wasn't an RPG mechanic. But two, um, which one was canon? 
like wh which ending is the one that if they do decide to create Mass Effect 4, which they've already released a, a teaser trailer for, which ending is going to be the one that, you know, is going to end up popping off. So with that, which ending did you select? I did the same as you. I was Paragon all throughout. And yeah, I, I did the fusion. And from what I understood, uh, years later, when I went back and watched some YouTube videos on it, um, there's actually a lot of arguments that that's actually a really negative selection to make in terms of uh, the fallout that potentially could cause. But at the moment, it just felt right. My, my own personal opinion on the ending, honestly, hinged less on that because because you're absolutely right everything i've heard is there's so much annoyance that you didn't get to really pick or there should have been a drastic difference between how you played if you were paragon versus a renegade um to me honestly the the real ending is the moment right before you activate it where all those characters you've been through all those games with are lined up in various parts of that stage it's like a busted up old building and you're just on the cusp of facing the reapers for one last time and you just go up and you just have conversations with them. And they allude to things that you've done in the past or time spent together. And uh, that to me was the ending of the game. You know, like, cause it really felt like, you know, those war assets you speak of a big chunk of them are recruiting back some of your friends that you've encountered throughout the various games. So to have that final moment as Shepard of just kind of connecting with each one of them, reminding you of why you're doing it and kind of what's at stake. Um, that, that was the part to me felt like the conclusion and everything that you're talking about just felt like the big, like climactic, like epilogue aspect. It's like, okay, cool. Like the universe is safe, you know, but, but the true essence of Mass Effect to me is, is the connections you make with these characters. And um, yeah, I, I thought that part was awesome personally. So granted both versions you played and I played were after the fact that they went back and had to retool just a touch to, uh, you know, appease the masses, so to speak. But yeah, I, that was my thought at least. I, I really, um, I agree with you on a lot of that part, but I can understand where so many people are frustrated because for me, like, so part of the war assets chunk was resolving the whole Quarian Geth dilemma. And a lot of that happened um, in the second game where you can choose to destroy the heretics or have them incorporated into the Geth. And then in the third game where the conflict ties up, there comes a point where you gotta choose in the moment, you don't know that there's an option. And it really depends if you're Renegade or Paragon, if you can resolve this in a sense where both races can exist, you know, together in the same galaxy. And you learn the horrors of what the Quarians did to the Geth, which is pretty much create a sentient life form, tried to enslave them. And then when they realized that they couldn't be controlled, that they started a, attempted to do a mass genocide on them, you know, which to me encapsulates the whole essence of what you're fighting against, you know, which is the Reapers. And that's what the Reapers were created for was to stop the cycle where you know there's violence upon violence upon violence on all these sentient beings that have thoughts and ideas about what their lives should be and recognition of what life around them is and all that acknowledgement so 
for me, when I got to that point on the Korean homeworld, you know, where you go through and you find um, the Geth, oh man, I forgot his name, uh, but you find a Geth crew member that you recruit in Mass Effect 2 and you free him from Reaper control and you continue on with the mission, there's a point at the end where you got to make a decision. It's like, do you want to activate the Geth where they're all fully sentient? And because I chose to incorporate the heretics into the Geth collectiveness, um, they were a much larger force than the Quarians and were in a better position to destroy the Quarians. Or do you stop that and let the Quarians pretty much have rough shot on a geth force that's not prepared to fight so i chose the geth you know with tali who at the at the time was my like romantic interest in the game you know begging me to stop and it was only because i'd been playing paragon and had such high paragon points that i was able to call upon the quarian admirals not to fire back and in a sense created a ceasefire and they ended up working together which gave me a huge amount of war assets. But um, that was a really interesting part of the game because I went through and watched some YouTube videos where the Geth take out the Koreans or Koreans take out the Geth and whichever side lives ends up joining your war assets part. So to, to me, that, that last final part really encapsulated so much of the game. And then for me not to continue that process on to the ending choice, which was to synthesize, um, to me, that felt like the most obvious choice. I mean, I understand what a lot of other people say when oh, that goes against everything that Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 are setting up for it because you're fighting against the Geth in the first game, but you find out that they've all been pretty much um, mind-controlled by the Reapers. They've been indoctrinated. And then in the second game, you find out that a larger portion of the Geth race um, isn't indoctrinated and would rather have stayed where they were in their part of the galaxy and do their own thing. But this whole thing tied them into this war with the Quarians or a reignition of the war with the Quarians. And to find out that Tali's father had been trying to manipulate the Quarians into controlling them again, you know, in the second game, really, um, I think to me, made the synthetic one the most obvious choice and the one that to me, that was the least controversial. And I'll say that having Shepard take over at the Reaper to me was one of the darkest endings. I mean, the cycle continue was pretty dark, but I recall watching an ending on YouTube because I didn't see all the other ones where it's Shepard takes over the Reapers and then ends up becoming a police force. You know, so you got this character who for the most part of this game was a sister who had been living his life and his philosophy was anything I choose is justified because that's the kind of power that the console gave him and that having that title of the specter gave him that he was now going to be the ultimate police force in the galaxy and in that ending it says I could choose which side of a battle I wanted to be on and pretty much eliminate the other side. So to me, that was really dark because now you got one consciousness controlling pretty much an unbeatable force of power 
And that's what the Reapers were. I mean, basically without a lot of luck, like there's no way the Reapers would have not lost had the whole, you know, catalyst thing gone down and all the sacrifices made. But that, that to me was like the one where I think a lot of people consider that canon, like being the best ending. And to me, that seemed like the most dystopian. Um, and then the one where you end up releasing the shockwave that kills all the synthetics was just as horrible because then you go on committing genocide. And the thing is, it's not like the organics aren't going to create another system to, you know, replace all that they lost. They're going to go back to refitting all the mass relays. They're going to create robots and those robots are going to gain sentience and then the cycle is going to continue. So for me, I think so many people said that that was the lamest and kind of went against it. To me, that was really the pen ultimate ending and a really good tie up to the whole series because like I said, it just really creates a level of understanding and communication between both the synthetics and organics to the point where they could live together and live in harmony. And that includes the Reapers. So the Reapers end up becoming part of this group too. So now you're, now you got a galaxy where you don't have organics and synthetics trying to, trying to kill each other to stay alive but now you got, now you got the reapers on your side you know which end up becoming the tools of rebuilding everything you know rebuilding all of the cities that they destroyed rebuilding the mass relays so yeah to me that was the least controversial and the most i guess honorable way to end the game no uh, interesting and actually the some of the parallels to some of the other elements that occur throughout the game like uh as you were speaking that I was remembering like some of the moments with the Krogans and whatnot, where just each different race throughout this game has just been like performing atrocities against another one in some capacity or another. And so, you know, kind of leading up to this big conclusion, like you just described, where it's making these decisions based on what is best for the galaxy here as well. Um, I want to rewind a bit since we did start at the end, but, um, you played a ton of first-person shooters and you're an expert at them. So how do you feel the gameplay elements were in the Mass Effect series? Um, obviously playing, you know, the first one is, is an old, old game at this point, but just in general, the feel of the combat. Um, I consider this a third-person shooter, which I played a lot of too, playing, having played the Division 1 and 2 and played quite a, quite a bit of hours on both of those. Um, I considered it the first game, like you said, really chunky. Um, I pretty much just picked up a sniper rifle and stuck with the most powerful one. But the second game and the third game is where I think it really involves into more of a cohesive mechanic within the whole gameplay series for Mass Effect. Um, I felt the second game got a bit stronger with it, like way stronger. And by the third game, it got pretty smooth and I enjoyed it quite a bit, um, especially the rolling mechanics. I felt like the cover mechanic was much better, but the difference between the second and third game is that the third game is your powers just make you the most OP thing. I mean, especially when you realize that you can counter them. So my second game party mostly consisted of Grunt and um, 
I forgot her name. It's Morinth and Samara. So I kept Samara. I killed Morinth and um, <laughs> and uh, was Omega. And you know, I used her abilities quite a bit. And then I always kept the Krogan with me because they could tank so much and do so much damage. So I could always send him into the middle of the battlefield to act as a distraction slash like blunt weapon and then just like kind of pick off people and then use Samara to like pin people down or to hold them in place while we shot them up. But in the third game, it was a lot of using uh, Liara and her singularity ability and then my abilities on top of that, which ignites the singularity and creates like a much stronger result. It's like doing a, a combo basically. So though I felt it was smoother in the third game, I felt like the second game was more of a third person shooter in the sense I know you can go with guns in the third game, and I've seen some gameplay where you become pretty powerful with it, not so much power-based, but I felt that going power-based in the third game was the way to go, and ultimately the smoothest. Um, so yeah, no, I thought it, it got better over time, um, considering that I think the years between the games, there was a lot of improvement within the video game world as far as the mechanics that they were trying to play with in the first, second versus third game. The first game is just so clunky. It really does play out more like an RPG. It plays out more like um, Knights of the Republic where you can even set up your powers and an individual power in the first game though is on cooldown, you can use a different power within your group. So, I mean, I think that was something I could have used, but if you have a sniper rifle in that game, you can pretty much just two-shot everything. Uh, so I, I didn't really play with powers. And then the second game, um, because the gunplay was so much more better, I was way more reliant on a pistol because it hit the hardest. And then the third game, I pretty much just used my powers on everything and just try to equip um, different well, just the appropriate group member, you know, at times, sometimes running two biotics and just myself, because it was just so much more easier, even though on the second and third game, the power cooldown, like wipes out all the other power usage, you, you can still stack it and your equipment or your power level ups within the game based on your level to where the cooldown is really, you know, you can mitigate it really easy and pretty much get powers back instantaneous if you're using the right combo. Uh, the cool thing about the second game is uh, where you are doing the heist at the party to to complete one of the levels uh, loyal or one of your character crew members loyalty missions, and you come across a SMG that's just super OP. It, it's super accurate and it's it hits super hard. So once I got that, I just equipped it on every character I could and just ended up melting through the rest of the game like butter. So what, what, what did you feel about this? Because this is a weird RPG where it just gradually evolves into an action game with RPG mechanics by the time it hits the third one. No, I, I think agree with everything you said. Honestly, that's how I played it as well. Um, I don't even remember powers in the first one. Um, and the second one, I felt like definitely combat was more the emphasis and um i remember more just kind of run and gun in that and the third one all i remember was spamming powers the whole entire time so um yeah i 
appreciate it. Um, I don't remember any like moment that really like stuck with me because it felt so overwhelming. I thought it was just fluid. Like every time there was an action sequence from the second, the third one, because the first one, I agree, it was clunky and we're not even going to discuss the tank missions. But um, I just felt like I, I appreciate every time there was a combat mission at play, which is a positive sign. But there wasn't any like scripted events or anything that like really stuck out in my mind to the point where I would consider them legendary. I just felt like they were perfectly orchestrated to move the plot along, like you said, um, essentially an RPG setting. It's how do we keep you invested, but at the same time, not distract from the actual role playing elements of the game. Yeah, I, I got to say, probably my as far as action oriented parts, the the end mission for the second game was probably my favorite action moment where you do the raid on the collector base. But um, I did it after I secured all the loyalty for all my crew. And um, I had also upgraded the Normandy as much as I could, which which I got to say is one of the mechanics I love about this game. Because if you didn't get certain components for the Normandy, it could lead to the death of some of your party members. So if you didn't get the right shielding, um, I think Thane would die. If you didn't get the right weapons, I think Jack would die. So there, there's just different things where it really um, rewards you for playing the game through and paying attention to minor details because those are all things where you just got delivered to them on the side where you talk to a crew member who wasn't a playable character, but he'd be like, oh, by the way, um, we could use this component for the ship, which would make things better. So it's something where you're running around on Omega and, and you get a chance to buy it. You know, so I picked all those up and I got through the raid crash on the collector base. And then that's where the game really took this action aspect of an RPG and I think blended it really well because you you have to split the crew up into thirds, right? So all mine survive, but they give you they give you options and they kind of give you these false options where you know, one of the characters is like, okay, I'm going to do this part. But since you're the commander, you're like, no, I'll have so-and-so do this part. And at the very beginning where you crash on the collector ship and you're trying to get to uh, the final mission objective, you got to have someone claw through or crawl through a bunch of ducks, which you don't play. But if you choose the wrong person, they're not technically uh, savant enough to where if you pick the wrong person, there's a moment where they die because they can't get the doors closed correctly or quick enough. And then they switch from going about it technically to going about it manually. And then they catch a rocket to the face. So um, I thought that was pretty sweet. You end up after that, you the whole time you get into a point where you re-meet up with the person that you sent through the ducks to shut down certain shields so you can get further into the collectorship. And you rehuddle back up and then there's a part where you have to have a team character who is strong enough in biotics that they can keep up a force shield to keep all these flying swarms of insects from turning you over to being or basically killing you. So the first person that raises their hands is Miranda and though she's a biotic she's not the most 
powerful unless you have Samara with you, who is like far more biotically like advanced than she is. So I ignored Miranda and I was like, no, you, you lead another group and I'm going to take Samara with me and I'll take these two other players or characters. So we get through that. But from what I saw, if you pick Miranda, she fails at the very end and then Grunt ends up dying or another character ends up getting taken away. So you lose another uh, teammate that way. And then you meet up again and then you discover the lost crewmates that were kidnapped from your ship that you're coming to rescue. And if you didn't get there in time, certain ones die that you know could be you know critical for other components in Mass Effect 3. And then you gotta pick a character that leads them back to the Normandy. And on my original playthrough, I picked uh, Morden. You know, I was like, okay, he's he's like kind of. Oh, I didn't pick Morden. I took Zaid because I was like, I don't use Zaid, but you know, he's like a badass. You know, he's kind of like the military running gun type dude that's really hard to kill. I was like, you can go with them. Well, I found out. You know, so I beat the game, and I. I didn't realize this, but more like Morden dies. There's there's a calculus that they don't tell you that the game crunches out. But since I sent Zaid, Morden ends up dying. So I do I finish the game and then there's a cutscene where everyone's running out and you see Morden lying dead. And I was like, what? So <laughs> I I, <laughs> I end up Googling it and it's like, no, you send kind of your weakest guy, and if you did his loyalty, they survive. So I replayed it to a point and then sent Morden and kept Zaid, which allowed me to save all the teammates. But uh, you pretty much take three characters with you for the final chunk of this collector raid. And then the rest got to hold out. And then after that, it's pretty much you take your three most powerful characters. I took Grunt and Samara and myself, and that allowed everyone to live. But ju just that fact really blew my mind, you know, that, there was all these different stages where you could lose teammates if you didn't prepare correctly or if you didn't think it through or if you just followed what the game was suggesting, you know, you could lose a teammate, you know. So that was super intriguing. And the fact is, like, it's all pretty much run and gun. Like, you're just tearing through waves of collectors and they're trying to stop you from getting to a Reaper that's based on what I was talking about, which is that they take whichever race they're going to destroy and they encapsulate it into themselves to kind of protect it, you know, to, to like say, hey, you know, even though we're destroying you, we're, we're bringing you with us. And so there's a human reaper that the reapers are trying to develop. And it's going to be an individual and it's based off of a human. So you beat that. And if you took the wrong people, they die after you beat that because a bunch of stuff falls down. I've seen playthroughs where people have lost the entire crew, <laughs> which <laughs> was pretty funny. There's a creator named Kev Dewitt who um, has done this now. He just finished the third game, but he plays each Mass Effect as a psycho. So he his whole mission statement is to kill the entire galaxy. But in the second game is where he really gets his shine on his decisions because he obviously, uh, through his fans and probably a little bit of research, figured out how he could get the entire crew killed. And so at the end of it, 
he has like no one alive but him and Joker <laughs> because he's playing it as a psycho. So I, I just thought that that was such um and the thing is that that choice goes into the third game, you know. So for me, you know, having saved everyone and I go into the third game, I've got a bounty of like options and storylines that open up, whereas they could have been closed. And though some of them are pretty similar, like if you lose Grunt, they have another Krogan in the third game. There's a mission where you encounter Grunt. He doesn't become playable as part of your crew, but he becomes instrumental in you guys saving the Rachni Queen from the the Reapers, which also blows my mind. You could have killed the Rachni Queen in the first game. I chose to save her, and she ends up becoming someone that helps to build the catalyst, you know, that ends up helping to defeat the Reapers. So um to, to me, that was like the quintessential mission where I, I had the most joy. And, you know, even though I lost Morden on my first playthrough, I quickly went back to an old save and replayed that whole part, which was pretty easy at that point, and saved Morden. And which and Morden ends up becoming really critical in the third game, you know, so... I, think I was just going to say, uh, I, I can't even imagine playing the third game if you killed the entire crew, because it would be a hell of a lot to do, that's for certain. Um, but no, you, you tie into that brilliantly, because um, like I have mentioned, you know, to me, so much of what makes Mass Effect amazing is, you know, kind of the dramatic elements to it. And Warden, uh, at least to me, was part of probably the most emotional moment in the game, uh, which was when he makes up for, you know, his, his uh, involvement with the, preventing the uh, Krogans from having children for the longest period of time. But um, what, what were your favorite emotional moments or beats in this game that really stood out to you? The, the st strongest one was actually at the very end where you release some missiles and you, um, so you, basically it's right after the moment where you felt like the game ended, where you got to do a mission where everyone's making a raid on a jump point, pretty much a small mass relay on earth that goes up to the Citadel. Because um, I guess we should have said spoilers. The elusive man, his role in this whole game, starting with the second to the very end is to try to control the Reapers, you know, which also ties into how dark I think the ending is where you go control ending is because you're pretty much taking over what the elusive man wanted to do but um you you make this raid on the and it, it's a very simple thing where you just run towards a control point but harbinger which is like one of the big baddies for the reaper group so the cool thing about the reapers is that they're all individuals so even though they all look alike they're not the Borg, you know, where it's like one thing, they're all like individualistic, but they're all got this one drive to stop the cycle and then start a new one later on. But Harbinger comes down and then you start shredding like your attempt at trying to get to Citadel because they know that that's the one point where they can be defeated. So you see him just cutting swaths through like all the allies is you're all making one last ditch attempt. Um, and from what I've seen, if your war assets aren't high enough, your other two compatriots in your party end up getting melted by them, you know? So you can lose two more crew members at the very end. 
Um, the one I saw was Liara dodging a truck or a vehicle that landed next to her, but then you see Sovereign's Blast just come up and turn her into ashes as she's looking at you, you know, and you're just like, geez, that's sad. So um, you're making a run and then Sovereign tags you, basically like shoots a laser in front of you. And then you come up and you're just shredded, you're bleeding, you're like defeated, but you're like the last one there. And it's pretty much a slow walk to the jump point. And you gotta, you've lost all your weapons. You don't have any choice of powers in this part of the game. And then you shoot a few bad guys to get to the jump point. It teleports you to Citadel, which is turned into a bloodbath. Like you, you jump into this room where there's just dead bodies lined up everywhere. It's all dark. And you find out Anderson, who has been a pretty big NPC throughout the entire series is on there as well. And you get to the room where he's about to activate the catalyst. And then that's where you face off against the elusive man who has incorporated some Reaper tech into himself and is now controlling both of you. So he gives his speech. Um, he gets you to shoot Anderson, you know, which ends up becoming lethal, like no matter what, but you defeat him and, and then you're both sitting down there and Anderson's like, you know, you're watching the Citadel open up, you're watching the catalyst, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of thinking, oh, sweet, you know, you finished the game. And Anderson's just like, yeah, we did good. You know, I thought like this is the last time we could sit down. He's like, I'm proud of you, child. And there's that moment where he he passes away slowly and quietly, you know, and Shepard looks over and he's like, Anderson? And then he realizes he's dead and he just kind of has this quiet resignation, you know, where he's just like, that's it, you know? And then like he gets a call from, uh, Commander Hackett, where he's like, the catalyst isn't fired, you know, so you, the first thing you say is, what do you need me to do? Like, a true hero, you know, you've given up everything, you've either sent your crew members away on the Normandy as a last evacuation, knowing that you're probably never going to see them again, or you watch them get melted by Harbinger, and then you've watched your, arguably, your mentor and best friend die, after having like you being the person that shot him, even though it's the Lucid Man control, it's your bullet, you know? So, and then you get lifted up into the final moments where the catalyst who basically controls the Reapers in the sense is like the reason the Reapers exist is, um, you know, explains all the different outcomes of how you matter of, you know, what you've done or what you can choose. So that to me was like the most emotional where I was sitting there, I was like, damn, like, that that stuff like is was really sad only because you see Shepard like shredded, bleeding, watching his friend die, and then now still to the point of near death, you know, not realizing that he hasn't finished it yet, and there's still one more decision to make, and all of them include sacrificing himself. There's like no way out of it, you know. So, you know, the synthesis ending is you dissolve yourself. And the essence allows the catalyst to, to blend and create this everlasting peace. The control is you dissolve yourself and then you basically become the reapers. Um, you die by choosing the, to kill all the synthetics because you yourself have got so many synthetic parts that it's gonna kill you from the initial EMP wave basically that goes out or you die from the cycle continuing, so. To me, that, that was probably the most emotional. The second one was where 
there is a way where Morden survives, but um, you have to be a renegade. You have had to kill um, Rex in the first game, and then you had to have lied, and then you're able to convince Morden to pretty much fake his own death, fake the fake the um, pretty much solution to the to the uh, genophage that they released on the Krogans. So basically the idea is that you're at the base of a tower, you've saved a female Krogan who's immune to the genophage. And if you have Rex and you did all the right things, she survives and she's able to pass on her, you know, you're able to use her genes to create a solution to the genophage, which through this tower spreads out, but the Salarians being who they were created a backup plan, which is pretty much the tower destroys itself to keep the genophages uh, going. So the only solution is that Morden goes up there, activates it, knowing damn well that he's going to blow up, you know, so it's basically keep the tower from overheating and destroying the cure or, you know, basically staying on the ground and faking his own death, letting the fake genophage cure go about, which isn't really doing anything and ends up you either letting Reeve, who is Rex's brother, go on thinking that the genophage is cured, or Rex, if he's still alive, ends up finding out that you faked the whole thing and you have to kill him on the Citadel at some point. So pretty dark stuff, but that that was a cool moment to me emotionally where Morden, you know, before he goes up, he goes, because I was wrong. And that was like his whole character base was that other people were wrong and he was always right, you know? And he goes up to the tower and he saves the cure from being destroyed. And then he's like, yeah, I did it. I can finally rest, you know, knowing that he made the wrong move by creating, helping to create the genophage. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, I believe his last line too is like, I had to do it because you would do it wrong. <laughs> so even in his final moment, it's like, just reminds you of that element to him. Uh, it's so endlessly fascinating uh, hearing about some of these renegade outcomes that you've been describing to me, because like, like I said, I played it the true paragon, like tried to get the, the best of the best ending possible, like the total goody two shoes approach. So um yeah, it just blows me away, just the, the connectivity between all three games, how you can really, like, change the plot line by allowing a crew member to die who, uh, you know, I, I just never experienced on my end, so. Yeah, so. so in the third game, if you did everything Paragon, and which I failed at, I think there's a couple moments where I... I, I wasn't by choice choosing Renegade. Like, so I think the Renegade moment was where if you save Jack in the second game, you meet up with her in the third game and she's an instructor for a bunch of biotics. And at the end you get a choice. It's like, do you put them on the front line or keep them in the back line? And I was like, strategically, this is where my train of thought was, was put them on the front line because they're biotics. <laughs> so that ended up becoming Renegade. So this didn't allow the ending, which I was hoping I could get, was that you can convince the elusive man to shoot himself in the head. But the only one I was offered was, um, you get a quick time moment where you choose the Renegade. 
says, Shepard, I wish you could see the earth as I see it. It's so perfect. And then he dies. But um, there, there's one option where you can convince him that he, he's done everything wrong. And only if you're a pure paragon in the third game, like made all the right paragon choices, um, you can convince him to shoot himself in the head, which is what I wanted to do. But I was disappointed. It was grayed out. So I knew I realized I fucked up in the end scene where it shows Jack standing over a bunch of graves. And that's her students. I was like, OK, I'm not going to restart to get that. I mean, that's too far gone. I mean, that was probably about 10 hours before that. So I'm not gonna go through another 10 hours just to, to get the suicide or elusive man to commit suicide and then see Jack with her students. She's gonna have to live with it. But um, yeah, that's just this game. I'm not, I'm not gonna switch tracks here, but all three games encapsulate what I had hoped out of cyberpunk and didn't get, you know, so. For me playing this, this is a bit of a cathartic, cathartic, yeah, cathartic, yeah. It was a cathartic experience, you know, experience for me, where I was like, oh wow, like a lot of decisions really affected the way a lot of things could have happened. So, I totally um, agree, and honestly, too, I, I just think that the just the sci-fi element, like they they created an entire universe that you actually give a fuck about. It's like, you know, a lot of instances, it's like a background or whatnot. Like I'll compare it to a game I, I played recently. Uh, I played through the Star Wars Battlefront 2. And obviously that takes place in the Star Wars universe. It's arguably one of the greatest sci-fi universes ever created. But other than like showcasing like a few elements that you recognize from previous movies or, or games or whatnot, like you don't really feel immersed in it. Versus with this one, it's like when you're describing like when Anderson perishes, like part of the reason that stands out to you so much are because you've just experienced so many conversations with him throughout the first, for, throughout the three games. You've had those moments where he was kind of leading you throughout everything. You've had all the, the various periods of time where you develop that bond with him. So when it finally comes to that end, um, you know, it, it really hits you. You know, same with all the characters like, like, you know, Morden when he passes in my gameplay experience, like it was because of all those missions, you had him at your side running support and all that and all the little dialogue quips where he's just basically telling you you're a dumbass, like over and over again. Um, you know, it, it just comes back and reminds you of all of that. Like, you know, it, obviously, they're, they're just fictional characters, but you still feel like you've developed some sort of a bond, even though really you're just being given a few dialogue branches here or there. But, um, you know, like you said, it, it comes down to simple decision. Do you utilize these, these bionics on the front line where you feel like they're going to give you the best strategy? Or do you think more from the plot perspective? Because I, I believe there's certain uh, hints that Jack is pretty apprehensive about putting forth uh, her students on in this mission because she's not quite confident that they'll survive and um you know and for me like i that just brought me back to her backstory where you're like you know she was kind of thrust into something unwillingly and and she kind of feels like we're going to be doing the same but when the universe is at stake sometimes that's what you need to do so you know you are wrong for sacrificing in that sense but you know it's how you react to each one and uh you know in my personal play through I, I did the opposite I had him on the back line but 
that was largely because I played it the big softy way where I was like, well, I should probably make her happy somehow here. So, um, you know, based on all that, that attachment to the characters, though, I have to ask, were there any characters that like absolutely annoyed you or you felt like didn't contribute to the overall um, sense of immersion? Uh, Zaid. I felt I, I really was just like not impressed with the character by any means even his loyalty mission um luckily I had enough paragon points where i was able to pull off getting his loyalty despite letting uh his you know nemesis go and saving the factory workers i felt was kind of a lame mission i mean um i felt like his intro was fairly cool where you first run into him on omega but other than that like i felt like zaid um there's also the other Cerebus agent that you meet with Miranda. Um, I forget his so name. Almost. Jacob. Or Jacob, yeah. Jacob, I felt like he was just kind of dead weight. Um, I, I, I want to say I felt those impressed as I was with the second game. I felt that they just, it was so swollen with characters that they weren't able to put in the kind of character building that made morden really special um i felt samara was really cool how she was this justicar where she had all of her daughters were basically serial killers and she was on the hunt for morin who was one of her daughters that you know didn't want to play ball and put themselves in a position where they would try to make things better for themselves and other characters because that race that samara and Tiara from, or even Arya, um, who is another person we'll talk about later, they, they all live to like a thousand years. So, you know, to have these sexualized serial killers going around, that's, that's a lot of dead bodies over a period of time, you know, considering that this is something that's part of who they are as a being. So, but yeah, I would say Morden was probably my most favorite character that came out of two with Zaid being the lamest. Um, even Thane, I, even though he was kind of like the cool Michael Bayish character, I wasn't really too invested into him. Yeah. I, I didn't care much for Thane. I, I just felt like he, he just seemed like a shittier version of Garrus. Like, I, I don't feel like he added much. I mean, yeah, he's supposed to be the cool assassin, but uh, it didn't do much for me. Uh, the oh. one, the one I was going to shit on a bit is, um, I forget her name, but the, the one that comes from the Normandy, the, the, Edie? yeah, like, see, I, I liked Edie, but go ahead. No, no, I, I liked it when it was just the voice in the ship and the bond developed with Joker, but when it becomes an actual, like, like sentient being, it, it just got a little overblown. And I understand that. I think a lot of that was to kind of move that plot of, the immersion of of the uh, synthetics with with humanity and other races in the galaxy but um that definitely like seemed a little bit out of nowhere just the thought of joker in a relationship with his literally his ship but uh you See, know I, I thought that was cool i i enjoyed it and i enjoyed her character like interacting with her character throughout the game and her observations about stuff um she, I thought she brought a good humor to the game, especially in the second game where 
she is still just an AI on the ship and is like a big component of the ship where uh, the collectors come and kidnap a good portion of your crew. And then you play as Joker and his gimpy ass, like crawling through the ducks and stuff to try to like save who he can. And there's a moment where Edie needs him to turn the computer back on. And he's like, oh, I'm going to be the guy that, you know, allows the AI to destroy the universe. And then she, he turns it on and she mentions the fact that he's now allowed her to take over the galaxy. And he's like, are you joking? You know, so it's just moments like that. Um, there's a lot, what I really love about this game is NPCs. Uh, Edie is not an NPC, but if she's piloting the ship, she's basically an NPC, you know? So, but you can go on and listen to them chit chat. And there's a few times where she has some really good observations and she, you know, she brings up the fact that she could take over the galaxy if she wanted to, but, you know, because she's got a human form and can interact with organics in the real world, you know, that's really changed her perspective and her relationship with Joker, you know, so, I, and I, I thought it was pretty cool that Joker got his romantic, he, he ended up getting to like be romantically tied in with the one thing that he's really good at, which is piloting. And in a sense, that's enormity. And Edie is like a big part of the enormity, if not like the brains and heart of it, you know? So um, yeah, to me, Edie was a cool character in that, in that way. But I could see how you would feel like, because she's just really over-sexualized, to be honest. She's like this metal thing with huge tits and a nice butt and a cute face. And even Joker is making fun of that. You know, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like if I known Edie would have looked like this, I would have been a lot nicer to her, you know. So I think that was the part that just made it a bit overdone for me. Um, but I also think that that highlights the cool element of this game is or these games is that you know each of these emotional beats is just going to hit you different depending on where you're at and whatever given moment. You know, um, back when I played it, I think like by the point in time where she becomes a playable character. I think I was kind of just reaching the point where I was pretty well done with the series or, you know, more invested in other storylines going on. But, you know, your experience is different, just like, you know, experience of somebody who plays as a renegade are going to have a completely different perspective on all these characters. Yeah. And hell, the fact that, you know, whichever character you chose to allow to live, you know, not inadvertently in the first game comes back to play a huge role in, in the third one. You know, um, it's fascinating just how the entire experience differentiates. And you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the heart of what role playing should be. Um, so I'm I, glad you got to experience this on the heels of the disappointment that was Cyberpunk. Um, I want to ask you, I felt that there was a lot of humor in this really. I mean, this game is pretty dark in a lot of ways. You know, it's existentially dark. Um, the the fact that your entire crew could die in the second game is pretty dark if you don't make the right decisions the fact that you could play as a renegade and make some really shitty calls is pretty dark but i found a lot of humor in it do you recall a moment where it kind of caught you laughing out loud i can't think of a moment because it's been a while since i've been removed for, since i last played it but i definitely know exactly what you're talking about like there are various beats to it in the dialogue chains that where I'd be like kind of taken aback by some of the responses or 
just find some humor in it. Obviously, the interactions with the reporter is comical, um, just because it's a recurring thing. I know Garris has a few lines that I couldn't recite any of them, but I remember some of the interactions with him. Oh, he's where, calibrating, baby. Yeah, he's <laughs> that's not. when the, he makes a self joke about it in the third one. He's like, "I know I say calibrating a lot, but you know." Yeah, and just I, I definitely know for certain there are aspects to it. Um, I re- seem to remember there were some funny beats in the uh, the club too, or the nightclub that you go into. I, I again, it's been a while, so I I can't recall at the moment. Yeah, Shepard's dancing is pretty bad. And they make a lot of fun at that. So the moment of humor that really stands out to me involves a character from the first game and then a DLC in the second game, which is um, involves Liara becoming a shadow broker. So I don't know if you played that DLC, but you basically, yeah. Liara, you try to recruit Liara into your crew in the second game. And she says, I can't because I've got a side thing going on where I'm major info broker. And then you find out that the shadow broker is pulling a lot of strings. So you go over to his base and you basically kill him. And then Liara ends up becoming a shadow broker. Now, this is the cool part is that there's a set of files and it's all text, but you can read files about the different crew members that you have. And one of them involves is about Morden, right? And it's about how they got onto the Krogan homeworld to Chanka, and then they got the genophage going and the different events that happened in that course. But a character from the first game, Kirahi, who is hold the line, whatever we do, we are gonna hold the line. <laughs> like that, that, which was, it, it put a smile on my face because of how cheesy, corny, and almost like old school World, World War One that was. You know, but he gives this like really big speech to his troops and everyone else when you're getting ready to um, raid like the base that's cloning Krogan's basically to use against the galaxy. But in those files, Morden actively in the game, Morden, you know, here's Kirihi and he act, he has like an active distaste against them. But you find out in the files how bad it gets. because <laughs> So... Morden is like typing out in his journal. And he's like, so we get we get to this uh, point in the mission, and then Kiri he gives his hold the line speech, and he goes, I think Kirihe is a cloaca, which I think is like an asshole for a bird, <laughs> and so, and he goes, but I'm I'm still unsure. And then there's another moment where Kiri he does something. And he goes, I am for certain now that Kirihi is a cloaca, a walking cloaca, you know? So to me, that was just so humorous because I think it just really tied in something from the first game, a character that I ended up like finding pretty humorous in the first game with the hold the line speech. He's like, we will hold the line. And then, you know, and if this happens, we will hold the line, you know? So, and then he's like, he gave his, we will hold the line speech. And I fucking hate that shit. It's just so dramatic, you know? So, and then Kiri, he ends up becoming a character that is pretty pivotal in the third game when uh, the Solarian ambassador gets an assassination attempt on her. And then Kiri, he ends up becoming the one that like sacrifices him, himself to like save her, you know, for me in the game, that's how it went. So, but 
that that moment, just reading that text, and then what Morden was saying about it, you know, had me dying. Uh, I, I don't know what it was about Morden, but I think it was just the way that they wrote his speech patterns. Uh, I think they just nailed it with the voice actor. The every time he was like, "Yeah, so this is what we're gonna do," you know, you know, he just gets distracted from point to point. Like he's always talking to himself, and you just happen to be there, and you know, just involved. So. Um, I also really like Javik a lot, and Javik was a character who you get introduced to in the third game, and he's the last surviving Prothean, but yeah, a lot of the humorous moments is where a, a former crew member <laughs> would be hanging out with you, and I took Javik with me everywhere in the third game because I felt that he, he was such a big character, and because he was a Prothean, that and he had like a lot of strong powers so I was like okay he's going to be one of my permanent members so I took him everywhere but there's a few times where you character would be talking to Shepard and he goes is that a Prothean <laughs> and then Shepard would be like yeah it's a long story you know or something like that or Javik would mention he's like oh yeah I remember your race you're a bunch of fish back in the day you know so just like quippy little insights like that had me laughing quite a bit um but I felt that the game is just interlaced with like a lot of like just moments. Um, what, what I wanted to bring this up. So the DLC in the third game, to me, that was a lot of fun and really kind of broke this like long chain of trying to get from place to place to get war assets. And, you know, I sacrificed Morden already to cure the Genofitch. What's the Citadel DLC? And it's just so tongue in cheek and it's such fanfare but basically Anderson gives you a condo and that just leads to a whole series of comical missteps where eventually Cerebus created a clone so that they could partially keep Shepard going in the second game. He was to be used for parts, but he ends up, you know, getting free from Cerberus and he wants to take over the Normandy. And that whole DLC is just fucking fantastic. It makes fun of itself. It makes fun of the characters. It makes fun of Shepard. And I remember a moment where the clone locks you up into a, um, a vault and then like puts you in. But the whole time Shepard is just really just involved and like only focusing on the something he says. It's like, I don't say let's move out like that. He goes, let's move out. He goes, yeah, that doesn't sound like him at all. You know, <laughs> and everyone's like, uh, we only got this amount of air left. And he goes, do I really sound like that? And they're like, is that, is that what you should be worried about? He goes, let's move out. Yeah, that's how I say it, you know? So um, yeah, it, to me, that was just chock full of so many moments, especially where that's like the only mission where the entire crew, you're in concert with them. I mean, you're only controlling your three, but the rest of them split up into parties and they're helping you get to the clone. And they're all making fun of the fact that like, they can't shoot anything, you know, even though they've got like 14 guns, not killing everything. And Shepard's like, you guys are going to make me do this whole thing myself, aren't you? He's like, get back to it, you know? So that to me, that was like a really good job. The party, the interactions, um, once you have the party in the, in the uh, condo that Anderson gave you. So that, that was a pretty special moment. Unfortunately, where you can play it really kind of, I think creates like a hiccup in the game. I think it's meant to be played right before the final mission, 
um, I played it like kind of in the middle. So I only had a certain amount of characters to take the photo with and interact. Um, I was like, OTR is not there. You know, so I've seen some gameplays where the entire crew is there. Um, I've also seen a gameplay where the entire crew is dead and it's just him there <laughs> like a few certain people but yeah no it's it, to me that was really fantastic send off and you know it was like you know here here's you know that moment where you said you're you know they're they're all at the end and you're interacting with all of them on earth you know and they're kind of like saying you know okay yeah we're with you this is our last chance like to me that was like a really great moment for you to to pull away from all the dark shit, you know, and all the stuff that you're gonna die and just really enjoy the team and all these bonds that you've created because they all interact differently. You know, like there's a point where Grunt and Rex are sitting there with Shepard and they're like, Shepard? And he goes, Rex. And then Grunt goes, Shepard? And he goes, Grunt. And then they're like, Shepard. <laughs> and he's like, Shepard, you know? And you're just kind of like, Oh, God, I'm sitting here with two fucking Krogans. And, <laughs> and that's all they're doing is like, you know, you're like Rex, Shepard, Grunt, Shepard, Shepard, Shepardo. You know, and I was just like, oh my God, this shit's so silly. So it definitely, yeah, was. I, I remember that now you, you mentioned it. Like it, it's comical in the sense that, like, yeah, it's so goofy and complete tonal shift. But I, I mean, again, you can only that would only work if they hadn't created such a beloved set of characters that you bond with so much. Like, otherwise it's just an annoying little thing to chalk up a DLC to, but no, in this case, it's, it's more like you see like with a lot of like Japanese media where they'll like create just kind of like a tongue in cheek fan service version, you know, like something like street fighter characters, like in different costumes or whatever, just to like, acknowledge that it's like no you have more of a bond with these characters than just like oh this is an npc that helps me shoot things or hey oh this is my assistant that i just spam their special attack it's like no these are these are my crew you know yeah and if you in in the group photo which um like i said was disappointing because i hadn't gotten all the crew back together like i hadn't gotten to tiara yet um one of the coolest moments is if you are nurturing the romance between Edie and Joker you know you could see them like looking at each other in the photo you know and I was just like oh man that's super dope and that was a super cool scene so um yeah no that I really enjoyed the humor when it was in the game I felt like it was super noticeable I think it really helped with the pacing of the game I felt like it was way more prominent in the second and third game than it was in the first um so uh, let me ask you something. Did you happen to notice the shit ton of guest voice actors in the game? Like, I didn't until way after the fact, honestly. Like, it wasn't until the credits I remember seeing some of the names. I was like, no shit, really? Like, like I, obviously, I remember some of the, the big one, like uh, Martin Sheen was the big one that I recognized, but... I didn't realize the the extent of some of the people that they actually got to contribute to it. Yeah, so I I picked up on it pretty quickly and I was just like, holy shit, like this is so-and-so. So I, I've created a little list and I won't try to get too boring with it, but um, Admiral Hackett is Lance Henriksen, AKA Bishop from Aliens. I was like, 
I, I've been listening to it and I was like, God damn, I recognize that voice from somewhere. And granted, he's pretty old at this point. So it's not like him sounding like Bishop, but I was like, I got to look this up. So I discovered that. And then um, Matriarch Benizia, who is Liar's mom, um, is Marina Sirtis, who plays Counselor Troy on Star Trek The Next Generation. And I was listening, I was like sitting there and I was like, holy shit, that's Counselor Troy. Um, There's a and lot then, of Star Trek ones, if I recall. Yeah, Michael Dorn is in the second game and he only, he's in it for a hot sec, but he plays a Krogan who's maybe got like five speaking lines. Um, so the guy that does the voice for Sovereign, who is the initial Reaper that you encounter in the first game is his actor's name. I. I didn't recognize the actor. It wasn't like, holy shit, this is so-and-so, but I recognize the voice. His name is Peter Jessup, but he played as Mirak, um, who was the main villain for the Dragonborn DLC in Skyrim, you know, who was like the other um, Dragonborn before your age kind of thing. So I was like, that's pretty sick. Um, so Mass Effect 2 hasn't even grandiose list so Carrie Ann Moss does Arya who is the the crazy lady that runs um Omega yeah I, don't I, know if you I didn't catch her. that one um you know I, I obviously Seth Green I remember Keith David I remember but yeah go on um Trisha Helfer who played um number six in Battlestar Galactica is Edie that makes sense yeah and she even cracks a joke about it in a video um so this character named Michael Hogan, who plays Commander Ty on Battlestar Galactica, who's one of my favorite characters in the whole series, is Captain Bailey. So I remember in the second game, you're introduced to Captain Bailey, who plays the CSAC commander. And I was sitting there, I was like, oh my God, no, did they get him into it? So I looked it up and Michael Hogan's in there. Now, there's a show called The Expanse, and one of the main characters um, is named Christian Avicerala. And she plays a, basically she becomes a president for the UN. So she's like the head of earth, but she plays a character in the game called Admiral Shalaran, who is um, Tiara's like kind of aunt. And her name is Shoren Agadshulu. And I mean, her voice is unmistakable. So as soon as I heard it, my mind was like, you know, mind blown. But uh, Adam Baldwin is in it, who plays Jane Cobb from Firefly. Um, he plays like another Torian named Cal Rhaegar. So the Carry On Mass, Carry On, Carry Ann Moss one uh, kind of threw me off. I didn't pick up on that. And the third one has got some other people. Uh, Buzz Aldrin's in it. That's so right. if you, yeah. So if you played the synthesis ending, which you did, uh, he plays a stargazer at the end where it shows that little clip where he's holding the kid's hand and. You know, the kid's like, oh, so that's a story. Can you tell me again? He's like, yeah, I'll tell you a story about how, a, you know, Commander Shepard, like, basically saved the universe. Um, Troy Baker is in the game. He plays Kai Lang. Really? Yeah. So he's Kai Lang, that that sick assassin who's, like, not all that sick. But uh, he plays the elusive man's, like, uh, whipping boy. Um, Freddie Prince Jr. is... Uh, uh what's his name vega james vega which blew my mind i didn't pick up on that yeah, seth green i'm sure helped with that one <laughs> and then uh a character 
who plays Soldier 76 in Overwatch, is one of the uh, main ones, plays as Balak. And Balak is that Batarian who played, um, who was a terrorist in the first game for the Bring Down the Sky DLC, where you got to go onto the asteroid, save a few scientists, and then keep the asteroid from crashing into the planet. Um, he shows back up in the third game and is actually kind of a big part where, you know, he's like, I'll see you later if you let him live on the asteroid. And he ends up pulling a gun on you in the Citadel. And you end up convincing him to get the Bartarians to join your war assets. So that actor's in there. Um, this is a bit of a nerdy one, but that Christian Avicerala from The Expanse, uh, that actor, her her character's husband is in the game, Brian George, who plays as Oleg Petrovsky, who is the, the Cerberus general that takes over um, Omega. And he ends up becoming a war asset if you let him live. Uh, Jessica Chobots in the game is Diane Allers, uh, which is was eye-rolling to me that they would feature her in the game. That shit was so annoying with the journalist, if you remember. So, I mean, I was just like really... And not to mention, like, uh, Yvonne Strahovski, who I had a big crush on when I watched Chuck series. She plays as Miranda and, you know, all these other characters. But, yeah, I was just really floored. Uh, Martin Sheen, remember I shot you a text. I was like, is that is that Martin Sheen? And you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. I was like, holy shit, he plays a good bad guy. You know, I thought he did a really good job in acting that, even though some of the fans didn't. I was like, that's pretty dope that they got Martin Sheen to play Elusive Man, because I think it just fits so well. And he did such a good job on the voice acting. So, yeah, just star-studded, you know. And obviously, after the first game is where it really takes off. But uh, I was pretty impressed with it all. Yeah, no, it, it's awesome. And it's I really appreciate that, for the most part, a lot of those are just kind of snuck in there rather than you know, a big, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, this is who this is, like, you know, it, it's just, you know, it really, I think, speaks to the quality of it, because I imagine a number of them are probably fans of sci-fi, and that's what, you know, drew them to lend their voices to smaller roles than, you know, some big prominent feature. Um, uh, another question I had to ask you is, you mentioned uh, having one of the coolest intros to the game. Do you want to walk us through that? Oh, I was just going to say the third third one. I, I really love the way that game launches you into it, just because if you have played the first two, that one just is like the culmination of everything you know it's building to, just dumped right in your lap immediately. Like, I think it was super cool the way they introduced the Reapers in the first game. Um, I actually thought that, I, I won't say it was terrifying, but like, that sequence when you're actually uh, interacting with the, the first Reaper that you meet um, definitely sets a tone. I'll say that. Like, you realize it's like, holy shit, these guys are actually scary. And the second one, you know, I, I have mentioned in previous recordings, I thought the final boss was a little goofy with, you know, this half-human Reaper. But at the same time, it, it plays into the third one because when you defeat that one, you realize it's like, you've really only defeated two of them and one of them was more thwarted this and you killed one that was like half born um now you're facing a whole entire army of them and they're at full strength and they're here to wipe you out and they really do just drop right in and start tearing shit up which 
On one end, I did find a bit comical because the way it starts off where you're in the heat of this amazing like earth defense battle, which really like to me is such a cool setting, but then you just kind of putter off and now you're free to roam the galaxy and do all these side quests while earth or whatever is being besieged. But um, outside of that, um, you know, it, it really sets the tone. It, it makes you want to hit, get into your ship, get out there and do whatever it takes to save the galaxy, uh, which is critical for any action game, let alone a third action game in a line of, you know, two other ones that have done all this effort to build this universe you're now occupying. So um, I I really enjoyed the, the intro to the second game. I did like the third one a lot, but I just love the fact that you're on the Normandy and then you just come across this unknown ship and it just starts shredding the shit out of you. And, you know, the, the only person left to save is Joker, you know, and you convince him that the ship is lost and you get him saved and then you end up dying. And I just was sitting there, I was just like, oh, did I just watch Shepard die? You know, and it's just this cool moment where he's floating and he's watching parts of the ship fly past him. And then part of his suit tears and he kind of goes through that struggle of like, you know, trying to figure out where the hole is. And then he just kind of drifts off, you know, and I was just like, wow, that that's pretty powerful intro to kill off the main character, like in such a fashion, you know, and you, you, you're just like, running through the ship trying to get people saved and you got to make some quick decisions here and there and you got to like save one of the fan favorite characters joker and convince him to go so i i thought that was a pretty dope moment um it, this game is chock full of moments you know based on your decisions uh i think the first game for me the beginning was so slow and it wasn't really till the the last third of the first game is where I really started getting interesting. Uh, what did you do with the council? Uh, I don't recall, to be honest yeah. with you. What did you end up doing? Well, there's three choices. There's one, it's straight up, let them die. There's two, save the council, or three, uh, which to me was so, the obvious choice was to keep the fleet back so that it could attack Sovereign. I was like, okay, that's the main threat. You know, he's about to to activate Citadel. So, so I'm like, I don't want the council to die, you know? And so I think if I go after Sovereign, you know, I can save the council, but no, it, it just like leads to this horrific moment where, you know, this human fleet is coming in to save the day and this epic music's playing and, you know, the Normandy's at the forefront and, and this the ship called the Stargazer has got the council on it. And you establish radio contact, and then Joker just kills the radio contact. <laughs> and then the Stargazer captain's in there, like, did they just cut radio contact? And it's like, yeah. And then you watch them like blow up. I was just like, whoa. Like, um, I think I would have saved the council had I known that that was like the effect of it. Um, so yeah, that I, was. I, I can assure you, I saved them then because I always did the White Knight whatever like the cheesiest like most paragon option was that that's yeah. the one i ran with so yeah so i picked that and i wonder if that was going to have ramifications eh, it kind of does like so from what i researched if you save the council um the war assets are a little bit stronger on the alien side and a little less stronger on the human side but if you go after sovereign 
and the council dies, it's only slightly less aliens and a little bit more. I think it's basically the same, just whether or not it's humans are at the forefront. Um, and then I put uh, Anderson as a counselor for the humans, which I don't think really affects the second game too much. Kind of does, I imagine it does a little bit. Um, but yeah, like that was really kind of, I felt like my first taste of, wow, there's ramifications to your choices in this game and allowing the council to just get smoked like that by the geth. <laughs> and in such a cold-blooded way where Joker just like disconnects. And they're just sitting there, I was like, damn, that is fucking cold-blooded. You know, you think you could have said like, uh, sorry, but you know, our mission is to go after Sovereign. So that's what we're saving the fleet to do. You know, instead he's just like, goodbye. So. Uh, which I think kind of like lends to another humorous moment where you're talking with the council and if you're playing Renegade or, you know, it's a Renegade moment where you can just cut the council off. And then Joker's like, oh, seems like we had technical difficulty and we lost the council. And then you talk to him again. It's like, Commander Shepard, are you just contacting us so you can disconnect from us again? And I think you can just automatically disconnect again and cut him off. So you can just totally blow off the council through the first game. But um, I think besides the Citadel in the third game, there's a mission called Leviathan. It's a DLC. And that to me was like a really cool mission where you discover the original alien race that created the Reapers. And it really showed how powerful they were and why the Reapers were so powerful and why they, um, were able to do what they did with indoctrination because the the Leviathan race was able to mind control so much and were really kind of like the apex race before even the Protheans came along. Um, did you have any thoughts on that? Um, I remember the I remember doing that. Um, I also remember that I did it. I think I had either beaten the game or it was towards the very end of the game, so it didn't stand out as much to me. I don't think because by that point I was pretty, I, I honestly feel like most of the DLC I did after the fact, mm. um, I want to say, because um, yeah, I, I don't remember. Yeah. Ha having a major connection to, it. I feel like I was at the point where I was like, I'm going to hammer this out because it's there and I enjoy the universe, but I've already completed it and I'm ready to put it aside. But um, it is cool that they added that element to it because it just expands the lore all that much more. I mean, yeah. which is so important, especially for, you know, explaining these big bads that, you know, are really the heart of everything throughout all three games. Yeah, um, I was super impressed by that, even though it seems like it was playable exposition, like the, the whole thought that they become war assets on their side. And you pretty much, the war asset is you get a, special task force that goes around and puts these artifacts that the Leviathans can control and they can basically indoctrinate, you know, the Reapers, you know, I thought was like super cool. Um, and is there, is there anything else? I'm pretty sure there's a lot of stuff we could talk about forever on this, but I mean, I think I've touched base on a good portion of the game. I mean, there's the bad stuff like the tank missions, that shit was pretty monotonous. The the resource harvesting in the second game, though, was better than in the first game, um, was still pretty annoying. Yeah, but, you know, honestly, all in all, 
I, I'm glad you enjoyed the experience. And honestly, it's been really cool to hear you, you share your per perspective and thoughts on playing it because it just brings me right back to when I was in it. Like I said, it, it was so long ago that I played through these, but it just jar brings me back to brief moments here and there as, you, as you're explaining these bits where I'm like, yeah, this is why I like this game series. You know, it, it's just, it was really well done. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit curious how this fourth one's going to go. Um, like I said, don't mention Andromeda, just because that was just such a shit show from what I understand. But, you know, I, I, I may be tempted depending on how it pans out in the fourth one, just because the universe, again, after speaking with you here, um, you know, it, it calls to you. You want to get back into it and experience it all again. So uh, really appreciate you sharing everything, Dave. I, we may end up talking more of it as we go along, as we continue this podcast, because um, I, I think it's a substantial series that warrants um, discussion beyond just, you know, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, so. no, uh, to, this to me was a groundbreaking experience in the sense that this is the first game where decisions across multiple games really affected everything throughout the first, second and third game. Um, and, and genuinely, when I finished up the third game, like I missed it, you know, it was like one of those things where it ended and I was like, you know, there's a bunch of content I can look up and do some investigating without having to play it. But I, there's a day or two where I was like, I missed the, the, the theme soundtrack, you know, of hearing it playing in the background, um, of hearing Shepard, you know, talk, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, I won't say it's my favorite game ever, but definitely I think an experience that a lot of gamers uh, who are into RPGs or even action games and want a deep experience where you feel like a lot of things that you decided throughout the game really make a matter, you know, a difference. And just to cap it, you're talking about the reporter and the renegade situation. So... Uh, there's a reporter that you don't like and you come across in the first and the Paragon option is to just kind of like deal with her. But the Renegade option is to punch her out. And it's pretty comical in the first one. And then in the second game, you can punch her out. But I, I haven't done, obviously, I haven't done this since I played Paragon. But in the third one, you take a swing at her and she ducks and then gets into a fighting stance. And she's like, not this time, soldier boy. And then there's a Renegade moment where you hit her with a left hook that sends her to the wall. <laughs> so i mean to to me that's just like kind of uh as much as like the geth and the the whole fight with uh the other race you know really kind of is a smaller bubble of the entire ex you know meaning of the entire game series um that is an emphasis on how your decisions make make a difference throughout each game because in the third one she's ready for you and you still manage to knock her ass out so i think it speaks volume to that like you know the the canon as you had alluded to before is is obviously to save the universe but they're because it's going to allow you to play as an asshole they're going to allow you asshole decisions and clearly this is a recurring one that occurs um i thank you again dave i think you nailed hit the nail on the head it, it's a game that makes you miss it which is rare. So thanks yeah. again for sharing your thoughts. Take care. Ciao.